This conversation was recorded on January 6th of this year. Enjoy. As you hear sounds coming up in your head, thoughts, you simply listen to them as part of the general noise going on, just as you would be listening to the sound of my voice, or just as you would be listening to cars going by, or to birds chattering outside the windows. So look at your own thoughts as just noises. This is Billy Hansen, and welcome to another episode of Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and trying to live well in general. Today's episode is an interview with Brandon Goebel. Brandon is the CEO and founder of JUCO Advocate, an organization that connects coaches around the country with players from around the world. Through his organization, Brandon helps set up clinics in the U.S. and abroad and provides free camps for players, young players, and this gives him an opportunity to evaluate talent and to connect players with potential good fits and scholarships around the country. And as you'll hear on the podcast, Brandon has some amazing stories about finding kids who would otherwise never have had an opportunity in college and getting them the opportunity to play, and they often have great success, as you'll hear in the episode. In speaking with Brandon, it's clear that he has a unique understanding of basketball culture and of talent and potential and the inner workings of the college basketball system and it's clear that he's making a real difference in the game and on people's lives in the process. We speak about his organization and what it does, how he evaluates players, mistakes that many players make in the recruiting process, and mistakes that many coaches tend to make in the recruiting process. And we have a cool conversation towards the end about mental health, specifically at the JUCO level, and how there aren't many resources for players who are often in towns without a lot of people or sports psychologists or resources. And we talk about finding work-life balance, meditation, and other topics. It was a pleasure speaking to Brandon. I'm really grateful that he came on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So without further delay, here is Brandon Goble. Right, Brandon Goble, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you bet, man. Happy to be here. So I want to just start with your own athletic background. What sports did you play growing up, and what was your athletic experience like in youth and adolescence? You know, I was kind of one of those guys that did a little bit of everything uh, growing up, and and uh, I was a military brat, so it was super easy on base to kind of do everything. Like, everybody did everything. You know, it was like, all right, it was basketball season. It was baseball season. It was whatever. Um, Definitely figured out I was better at sports in the water than I was on the land. And, uh, and so I ended up, uh, I was a swimmer and and played college water polo and Hmm. uh, um, kind of went more of that route. My, my basketball background uh, outside of um, discovering I wasn't great at it uh, was uh, more on the analytics side of it uh, to start. And, and really got into basketball that way, doing, um, you know, the math and the, the scout and the analytics and all that kind of side of it. And, uh, and it kind of evolved from there, really, over the last decade now. So Nice. Where did you go to college? Colorado State. Okay, cool. And what did you study in college? Uh, 
uh, I was business marketing and obviously, uh, with a business marketing degree instantly went into a job that I hated (laughs) out of (laughs) college, uh, doing, doing insurance stuff for, uh, 15 years before I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up and, uh, and do this full time now. So and what were you just deep in the weeds and spreadsheet manipulation and stuff at the company? Yeah, a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of negotiations. Actually, what's funny is, is my corporate job has really helped me, uh, in, in this world now, because the, the bulk of what I ended up doing was lawsuit negotiations. Mm-hmm. And and dealing with these heavy hitter, you know, claims and and pre-suit negotiation and everything, and now like, it's definitely way easier talking uh, basketball coaches into things than it is talking lawyers into <laughs> things. <laughs> so, nice. um, yeah, so it's it's definitely helped me there for sure. Cool. And I listened to your interview on the Hoopheads podcast, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And you described a bit about your story about how you transitioned from your corporate job into what you're doing now. So could you just take me through how that transition started and how you got into this space originally? Yeah. So I was doing, um, I was doing my corporate, my corporate thing and, and tweeting about some basketball analytics and, uh, and a guy at Colorado state that was the video coordinator, um, asked me to, to help with some number stuff and show it to the, the coaching staff and things. And so through that process ended up, um, just helping with stuff in the background, uh, with the staff on, on writing scouts and, and analytics and the math side of it and, uh, projections and different things like that. And just did it as as for fun. You know, Mm. it it was funny. Like when I started, when I decided that, okay, I want to do basketball, the only people I knew in basketball were the, you know, five people at Colorado state. (laughs) And, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was definitely like a start from scratch thing. Um, Mm. and, and not even in a way, you know, I thought maybe at some point, like, well, maybe I'd want to be on a staff and doing this side of it. Like, I'm not going to be a basketball coach. There's Mm -hmm. no way, you know, and nor should I be, (laughs) um, I, there's things that I'm really good at and there's things that I know I would not be very good at. And, um, I look at it that like, Hey, I'd, I'd rather be really good at these things that I'm, I'm really good at and, and rather than the, you know, trying to do something that I'm not. And so, Uh, But I wasn't really sure what that meant for like a job and a career. Um, I'm still not really sure what it means for a job and a career. Uh, You know, it it feels like it changes every week what I'm, what I'm, you know, passionate about and trying to do, but it all kind of, you know, at least revolves around the same, the same thing. So, you know, through that process, got to meet some people and meet some players and, and uh, um, you know, helped one specifically that kind of was the, uh, I guess the, the, the big bang of, of what I do now. And, um, yeah, really kind of found my passion for it through helping people, um, and helping people achieve what they want to do. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, is, uh, people say, well, what do you, what do you do? Like, what is your job? You know, it's, it's kind of this, it's difficult to explain in one sentence, which is a really bad business model. Um, (laughs) but it, uh, uh, I, I kind of break it down to like, Hey, I like helping people and doing cool shit. Yeah. And, and you know, those two things combined have, I've figured out how to, how to make a living doing that. And so that's kind of my goal with it really is to just keep helping people and doing cool shit, whatever that is. Nice. Nice. And can you drill down on that first player that you helped and how that came about and what that led to? I remember listening to you talk about how that 
experience really resonated with you. And then it seemed like the momentum built from there, right? Yeah, it was, it was interesting because it was almost like serendipity that I met this guy. Um, his name was Solomon Heine and, uh, he had just gotten out of the air force. And so being an air force brat myself, like I just kind of was instantly, um, connected to him. There was even some, some other connections from when he spent some time at the air force Academy in prep school. Um, and you know, I had really close friends that had been at the prep school and kind of around the same time. Um, and so met him, he was, he was wanting to walk on at Colorado state, but, um, you know, the coach at the time, Larry Stacey, wasn't really looking at walk-ons at all. So, um, I said, well, I don't know anybody, but you know, I'll, I'll help however I can. And Dwight Smith, who's now an assistant at McCook, a former Colorado state player, he knew Solomon. And, and so we went and filmed this workout and, uh, and, and I sent it down to, um, Sam Winooski, who was the video guy that got me connected at CSU in the first place. And, uh, he was down at Midland junior college and he's like, yeah, we'll, you know, we can take him as a walk-on. Um, mm-hmm. he can use his GI bill and, and come in as a walk-on and, you know, he looks athletic and he's like six, seven and whatever. I mean, he can rebound, you know, he can rebound jump shots and practice for us. And, <laughs> uh, and Solomon came in and ended up being a starter for him, uh, down mm-hmm. at Midland. And by the time it was all said and done, um, he ended up with, I think it was 22 division one offers. Wow. And, and that process is really what kind of drove home for me too, like where I fit into the world, because as he was going through his recruitment, um, you know, he said, well, I don't know anything about anything, you know, can you help me? And, and I'm also 24 years old because mm-hmm. he'd been in the air force and as in your clock stops, um, you know, if you join the military. So his, his clock was just like a, a college freshman mm-hmm. and, um, uh, he said, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know anybody. I don't know anything. I don't, you know, whatever, but let, let's do this. And so, um, you know, I, I clipped up his tape and started pounding the pavement on social media to every coach I could get a, a message to. And, and uh, you know, once he was done and, and then all of a sudden, like his teammates started hitting me up and then, you know, other kids saw these videos and, and then they started hitting me up and I'm like, all right, like, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something here that I can do. And, and, uh, um, but it was, it was so fortuitous to have met Solomon in the first place, just because like he had, you know, complications, right. You know, being in the air force for one, being an older college freshman in like a, in a super unstructured environment in junior college for him, uh, was something that he struggled with. Uh, especially at first, um, you know, adapting to, and me getting to go through that process with him of, you know, maturity and, you know, all these different things, this, this kind of this microcosm of a bunch of stuff that happens over the course of a player's career happened like all at once with him. And I was there for that. And so being able to go through that experience and learn the, you know, the do's and don'ts and, and uh, things to watch out for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it was, it was really a good first learning experience for me through that process. And it's definitely like, um, you know, helped, I think, shape the way that I approach a lot of things now. Cool. Yeah, that's great. And so from that experience, you said that his teammates were hitting you up. And so now just take me through that first, when you first started to dive into this, you're working your corporate job still. And then are you sort of just volunteering, helping out people who want to find fits at the next level from their JC or from their high school? And how did that, um, 
first come about when you started working with a wider variety of players? Yeah, it was um, it was sheer chaos at first uh, <laughs> because it it got I started this spreadsheet thing just a just a regular Excel spreadsheet and I take their film and and I'd look at it and kind of evaluate where I, I felt they fit in and and you know fortunately for me like being a even though I hadn't worked in basketball I was such an analyst of basketball um, mm. you know from watching God unforeseen amounts of film. Um, and, and really being able to break down kind of where talent levels are and stuff. So, so I at least had that background, um, ahead of time. And so then I would start getting all this film and I'd start evaluating it and, and just reaching out to, to coaches, um, that I thought, you know, were, were good fits and programs that were good fits and levels and things and, you know, getting kids academic information and their contact information and, Mm. and starting to learn some of the questions and things like that, that, um, you know, you have to ask through this recruiting process of the kids, like, you know, cause sometimes they don't even know the answers. Uh, right. you know, what, what, what do you need to qualify? What do you need for all these different things? And, uh, and so then this, this spreadsheet went from 10 names to 20 names to 50 names to, you know, 200 names. And I'm just like, Oh my God, how am I going to keep up with this? And, um, and so it kind of just, it just grew organically, um, really quickly. And, you know, to where we went, I, I started a Twitter handle and, you know, within less than a year, it had 10,000 followers on it, you know, wow. and, yeah. um, and that has just continued to grow gangbusters. And, and, you know, now I do things differently, um, for sure. Like there's, there's no spreadsheet <laughs> anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, um, it, uh, it, it was good though. It was good to kind of go through that whole process with these different guys from, you know, top to bottom. And there's still kids that like, there's still kids that were some of the first names on those spreadsheets that I still talk to today, you know, mm-hmm. that are playing pro basketball overseas or doing jobs here, um, you know, back home in the U S and stuff. And so it's, it's been interesting, like over the last, uh, six years. So it's been six years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing how that whole thing has really like come together. Cool. Yeah. And then can you, I know you said that it's hard to describe your job at this point, but can you do your best to just lay out what your current business looks like, the kind of things that you're doing and what um, the overall structure looks like from where it's grown to working with that one player and then the handful of players. And now it's become something that's really formidable. It seems like so what what does it look like now? Yeah, so you know we, we still have the social media presence on the Juco Advocate side of it, but the company is larger than that, um, has a broader reach than just that. That's really kind of like my personal like front facing piece, mm. right? That's become Juco Advocate on social media has become more of a um, a personal um, appearance, I guess. Um, but, you know, Nathan LeClaire, who started Verbal Commits, and I merged our brands uh, a couple years ago now and have been working on a lot of stuff in the background that will be coming out this year. And so, you know, there's that piece of it where, you know, we have the Verbal Commits side of things on the database side where there's millions of unique users of that website every year. Um, with and is that the, just checking who commits where or what, what is that yeah, database it's, serving? It's the world's largest database of commitments and offers and signings. And, and so it keeps track of every roster move, um, that happens, whether it's a walk on, whether it's a transfer, whether it's whatever. Um, and it's, it's unique in the sense that it gives the same amount of attention to somebody at Alcorn state as somebody at Duke, 
right? Like mm. it's it's not, it doesn't distinguish the five stars from the the walk-ons. And so, you know, it's kind of like we, we always say verbal commits is for everybody, um, you mm. know, whereas a lot of basketball scouting stuff has become this super exclusive club. Um, mm you know, verbal commits is, is always going to be for everybody. So, so there's that piece of it. We def, we have the scouting side of things that we do for, you know, the, the four-year universities, um, still lots of just hands-on, um, evaluation and helping kids get to, to school, um, and other side projects like, uh, you know, some TV show stuff that we're working on. Um, and, uh, uh, the domestic camps that we do, uh, and then the international side of stuff. I mean, I go to Africa, I go to the Caribbean, I go to Europe and look for players and help them get to school and everything, you know, we do like that is, is always at no cost to the kids. So, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so how off, how much time, I know maybe COVID might've interfered with some of this, but let's, in a normal year, how much would you expect to be traveling around the world looking to find players? I would guess, you know, without COVID, um, cause unfortunately like I quit my corporate job full stop and then mm. like five months later, um, COVID hit. Pandemic so that hit, was, yeah. that was great. <laughs> um, but, yeah. uh, you know, I would guess in a, in a given year going forward, I'll probably end up doing six or seven international trips. Um, per year a year yeah wow yeah i mean i've got two planned in february um we'll see wow. if one or both or neither happen <laughs> with, yeah. uh you know with with the old omicron the reaping part two coming <laughs> right. so right. um you know just kind of just kind of waiting and seeing on that but planning on going back to nigeria planning on going to paris and running a camp there um i was supposed to go to paris like like there was kind of like a day when like everybody went, Oh no, like COVID's a thing. Right. And mm. that had to been in maybe March or something. Of, I feel like the, the NBA shutting down was kind of a lot of people's light switch. Yeah. Know? It was that March, yeah. March time frame. I remember it was, I was supposed yeah. to go to Paris and run a camp and I was supposed to leave in two days. And basically I got a thing from the state department that was like, Hey dog, you go to Paris and we shut the border. Good luck. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. um, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then sure enough, like, like five days later, we, we closed the border. And, yeah. um, and so it, I, I've taken, I've, I've unfortunately only been able to take one international trip since COVID. I went to, I went to Serbia for a week, mm. um, and, uh, and did some scouting and, uh, but you know, once, once we get things unscrewed, I guess we'll, uh, well, I'll, I'll be ready to hit the road. I've got, I got plenty of places I can go. So cool. And what does that look like when you, let's say you're setting up a trip to Africa, say, are you hosting your own camp and then evaluating players at the camp? Or I mean, I'm just wondering how you even promote it or get the word out or connect with enough people in a country to set something like that up. It seems like kind of a daunting task. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, there's the, there's definitely the intentional camp, um, that, you know, is set up ahead of time and, you know, we get the word out there, but it's not, it's not like, it's a little more targeted, I guess. Um, we're not spreading the word like massively, or at least we haven't yet, um, uh, because things can get real complicated over there. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, if you make it too big of a deal, um, hmm. And so, you know, we've had both uh, the, the intentional camp aspect of it, and then we'll also just go around 
and and look for players. I mean, when we were in Nigeria, we we just went to random courts to go find players, huh. um, and uh, that was interesting. <laughs> and uh, so you know, it's it's really kind of both. Uh, the funny thing is, and I try and explain to everybody is like, hey, if I'm in Africa. Um, if I can find somebody playing basketball, if I can find a group of people playing basketball, there's probably a college basketball level player really? in that wow. group. I mean, so you have some, you have some success stories of like walking up or pulling up on a pickup court and that player then has, has a successful college career. Yeah. That's I happened mean, many times from the, j- just even, um, the last time we were in Nigeria, we went to this, we went to this random court in a weary which is a city that nobody's ever heard of in the middle of nowhere and uh we see these kids playing and there's there was one really tall kid uh who actually now is in the nba academy um in uh in senegal but uh there was this other kid that was just you know he's like six six you know it wasn't like he was seven feet tall or whatever you know that's what everybody's looking for when they go to to these places you know give me all the tall kids and they forget that like there's really good not super tall kids there too um, yeah. and so there was a six, six dude just like running around shooting and dunking on everybody. And so, um, Shay Frazee was with me. He, uh, he's a trainer and trains NBA guys. And so he, he jumps into this pickup game and, uh, the Jackson, this kid named Jackson in Yenna drives past Shay and goes to the rim. So Shay literally just like bear hugs him around the middle, you know, to stop him <laughs> from dunking. And the kid still dunked. <laughs> and Shay, Shay comes up to me. He's like, I don't know what the hell just happened, but like, that's not normal. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we were, we, we tried and tried and tried to get Jackson a, a US visa to come over here to play junior college. And there was some, uh, issues with, the the state department, which is a whole nother chaotic story of how all this happens. But, uh, fortunately we were able to get him a full scholarship to a university in Canada. And so he's at St. Mary's in uh, Nova Scotia. Um, wow. playing college basketball up there. And it was, I mean, we literally just happened to like show up at a court. We had no idea who this kid was. He had no idea that we were in Nigeria. And I was like, you, do you want to go to college? He's like, hell yeah. <laughs> and, and that was, I mean, that was pretty much it. You know, I've known Jackson now for gosh, three and a half years, something like that. And, uh, and so he's up there playing, he's up there playing ball. Taking a quick break from the conversation to thank you for listening to the podcast really means a lot that so many of you are engaging with the work and I love hearing from you so feel free to reach out to me my book harder than I thought easier than I feared with the subtitle sports anxiety and the power of meditation is available and for sale and so if you're an athlete or if you know of an athlete who's going through a difficult time you should consider picking up a copy the book is about my own athletic experience and it's focused on the difficulties that I faced in college basketball suffering from really debilitating performance anxiety and depression and almost quitting, but then working with a really skilled sports psychologist and learning how to meditate and then being granted a fresh start during my senior season and a brand new opportunity. And I had a really great senior season. So I really summarize my experience as a player along with everything I learned along the way and my experience coaching and working with other players and the books I've read and the research I've done And so my hope is that the book is a short, accessible read that could really be of use to players and potentially of interest to coaches and parents as well. Other ways to support the podcast is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
and that helps me find new listeners to the show. And if you want to stay in contact with me and my work, you should subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. I appreciate your support. And now back to the episode with Brandon Goble. So do you think Jackson would have had any shot at at finding that kind of opportunity had you not, I don't know like what the what it looks like. Was he actively trying to play somewhere? No. Or was it kind of your idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, there's, there is no opportunity really. I, I mean, yeah. if, you know, Nigeria, is, we'll just use this as an example. Uh, you've got your two major cities, Lagos and Abuja. Um, but none of those places are very easily connected. Um, it's not Mm. like there's, you know, a highway between them or something. Mm. Um, and, uh, it's, it's difficult. And so, you know, Lagos is a city of 28 million people. And so if you're not in Lagos, um, your odds of being seen by somebody that, you know, is into basketball over there are pretty low. You know, it's Mm. not like there's a ton of guys that come out of Abuja or anything. And if they do, they typically wind up in Lagos before they're seen. And so, you know, like Gideon George, who is, uh, you know, a, a star player at BYU and, and, you know, has NBA potential. Uh, he was in our camp and, um, he's from a little city in the North called Minna, uh, Nigeria, which is near Abuja, but like nobody's going to Minna, you know, nobody's going to, I mean, shoot, people don't go to Abuja. If somebody happens to be going to Nigeria to look for players, which very few people do, it's typically on the Nigerian side where things in, in, uh, initiate, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, nobody's going to, going to Minna to look for, mm-hmm to look for players. So, um, so that's kind of, I, I don't know, I guess like maybe where we specialize in things is we go find the people that like in places that people aren't looking and we go find the kids that nobody's looking for. Um, yeah. And, uh, because they're out there, I mean, everything from, and we'll help anybody, right? It, it doesn't matter if you're an NBA player or an NAIA player, like we don't care. You know, if we can, if we think we can get you a scholarship, we'll, we'll work it. Um, yeah. But it's amazing how much high-end talent there is just walking around with no idea that, you know, there's an opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah. And what a, that seems like a really fulfilling thing to accomplish is to help someone get that kind of opportunity and generate that connection. That must be um, different than crunching spreadsheets for an insurance company. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a complicated thing. It's a a complicated emotion, too, um, because you get the high of you know, helping somebody. Right. But you also yeah. get like the heartbreak of when things go wrong. Um, mm. you know, like when we were in Tanzania, there were two girls that were war refugees, uh, from Congo. And so they're playing in our camp and we're like, yeah, we can get these, these two girls scholarships. So, um, the good folks down at Chipola community college, um, coach Franklin down there offered a scholarship to both of them. Um, mm. literally while I was still in Tanzania, like mm. I sent him film and some pictures and things. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like we can work with that. I mean, these girls were, you know, six, one, the other one was six, two. And, wow. um, so we go through the process and, and one of them got a visa right away. Um, and after six tries, the other one never got a visa and she's mm. still in Congo. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, you, you, you try God. and you try and you try and you try and, and then, you know, they're sitting there on the other side going, well, what about me? Yeah. And, there's literally nothing you can do. I mean, there's, yeah. there's nobody that you can call. Like, like we have connections to senators and, and, you know, state department officials and things like that, but that's not how, that's not how the embassy system works. Like it's, it's a closed box. It's like Apple, right? Like mm. you can't, you can't get into the box even if you're, even if you're a high up. And so, 
you know, you get that heartbreak of like eventually just kind of not communicating with each other anymore. And, mm. you know, cause you say there's nothing I can do. That's yeah. It. And then in her case, when her friend got to go, that's gotta be really hard, but yep. and she's yeah. still here playing college basketball. So, wow. That's amazing. So one thing I thought about while I was listening to your hoop, hoop heads podcast was if I tried to just put myself in your shoes, do you feel okay, best, best way to put this? How do you balance advocating for players with maintaining your reputation with coaches? And maybe that's just a non-issue, but I tried to um, put myself in your shoes thinking about how if you're trying to get a player an opportunity, um, but you also want the, to maintain your reputation with coaches that you really are telling them that this player is as good as you say they are. Is that anything that you go through? Or are you just trying to be as honest as possible to try to get good fits? I'm just curious if that's ever been an issue yeah, I mean, or is it's, on your mind. It's yeah. a mental conflict that you have to, you have to push through mm. and, and you have to wind up on the side of accuracy mm. because if I'm inaccurate, I can't help the next kid. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have to tell some guys like, I can't do anything for you. You're not a college basketball player, you know? Yeah. And, and you get the immediate, like, you just don't believe in me. It's like, I, okay. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I do the best I can to be accurate with, um, my evaluation and, and the, that being said, if I believe in somebody, I'll push like crazy hmm. and I'm petty as hell too. Like, <laughs> like if I push on something really hard and like, you just tell me that I'm wrong when that kid is successful, hmm. like I'll remind you. Throw that, a little DM. Little yeah. Highlight yeah. <laughs> like like there, there's a kid that I kind of jokingly sort of jokingly sent out a tweet last night uh, about Malavi Leon's that's at Bradley now. And Malavi was at uh, Mineral Area Community College. Skinny as a rail, right? Like mm. like 175 pounds at six nine, and uh, but man, could this kid play? And and Luke Stregi did a great job with him there. And you know, I'm telling these coaches, I'm like, hey, this kid can really go. And ah, he's not strong enough. He's not big enough. I'm like, yo, are you gonna feed him and have him lift some <laughs> weights? Like what? You know, you, you can develop that. And it's just, nah, he's, you know, he's not strong enough to play at the next level. And the dude's going to end up being an all-league guy at Missouri Valley this year in the Missouri didn't, Valley. Didn't they say that about Durant, Durant when he was coming Yeah, out? yeah, two skinnies, whatever. <laughs> so last night, I, I, you know, he had like 17 and 9 or something against Missouri State last night. And so mm -hmm. I sent a tweet out that said, where's all the, where's all the he's two skinny coaches? <laughs> um, and then actually I, I, I went and searched my phone cause I keep all of my text messages because I'm so petty and, uh, and I, I screenshot it. Uh, I searched his name and screenshot this one coach and, you know, I sent his stuff and he said, ah, you know, he's, he's too skinny. He's, he can't, you know, it's not going to work and, you know, whatever. And I, I texted it to him last <laughs> night and, and fortunately, like, you know, I, I, I work really hard on my relationships with these coaches, so they know I'm just giving them a hard time. But, you know, at the same time, like I, I have a, I have a narrative I'm trying to push, right. I, I have a, I have a, a manifesto, if you will, where I say, uh, you know, believe in something more than what's in front of your eyes, right. Mm. With these players, like believe that if you see flashes of something that you can take and turn it into something special, 
you know, because mm. uh, otherwise, like, I'd never get a player out of Africa. Mm. Uh, they, they don't have any structure. There's no, you know, organized basketball for the most part. Um, they don't have the coaching. They don't have the teaching. They don't have whatever. So, you know, when Gideon George shows up at New Mexico Junior College and wins freshman of the year in the toughest league in junior college, he'd never really played real basketball before, mm. you know, but but it was it was flashes of like what he can be. And, and that's what I spend a lot of time doing is like evaluating like what I think somebody can be. And then I spend a lot of time trying to convince somebody of the same thing. And, you know, I've been fortunate that it works out way more often than not. Um, mm. cause otherwise I wouldn't still be doing this, but, um, you know, that's, that's definitely like my, I guess my thing where I'm constantly railing on guys like, you know, like, Hey, you know, this player, he's going to be able to do this, this, and this. And, and they say, well, you know, he doesn't do enough of this right now. And I said, tell you what, coach, if he was doing all those things, you wouldn't have a chance of getting him. Right. So, right. You know, um, so there's, there's a lot of back and forth with that, but, but it's cool. I mean, that's what makes the job interesting. You know, it's, it's more than just like, Oh, I saw a good basketball player here. Like that's not that hard, right. Yeah. Like to identify a really good basketball player. Like we all yeah. can, for the most part, look at a guy and be like, that's a good basketball player. <laughs> you know, it's, right, it's right. all the other stuff. Yeah. And speaking of other stuff, I was just going to ask, is there anything outside of athleticism, kind of the way they move on the court, you know, some of the stuff that you can spot in, in a, with potential in a basketball player, are there any intangibles or attitude or demeanor things that you look for in the players that you're trying to pair with the right fit? I mean, it's amazing how much, goes into an evaluation that the kids don't even realize is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's the way that you act on the bench, how you react to your coach, how you talk on defense, how you interact with your players uh, Mm -hmm. on your team, how you interact with the players on the other team. Um, you know, it's not the end all be all by any means. And at some point you do have to be able to play, but there are a lot of things that are kind of indicators and clues as to, you know, how quickly you'll be able to develop, how intelligent you are to be able to pick up new concepts, how you're able to do these different things. And so like, you know, over here, you're watching it in the context of a basketball game, you know, and so you're evaluating how they're doing those things within, uh, you know, the, the lines of a basketball court, whereas like overseas sometimes, and, or, you know, especially like if I'm in Africa, where maybe we don't have a basketball court. Uh, you know, or the rim is busted, uh, or whatever. Um, you know, there's different ways that, that we have to go about things to evaluate that. Like, like I'll play dodgeball with the guys because mm. it turns their brain off. They have fun. Um, and I can throw that thing. <laughs> and if you can catch when I'm hucking a soccer ball at you, uh, or you can drop your butt and cut on a dime, um, you know, and show a lot of hip and ankle flexion and things like that. Like those are the kind of starting to indicate that like you might be a pretty good basketball player. Cause like I can teach you to play basketball. I can't teach you to do athletic things. Right. Mm. Um, I can't teach you to, you know, if I change up the rules of the dodgeball game five minutes in and you pick up that concept immediately of what we're doing, I can probably teach you to, to pick up concepts in basketball. Mm. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot of other factors, mental factors that go into these things that, um, that have an, an impact. And then, and then just even getting to know the, the kid in general, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that kids have to overcome, you know, mentally, physically, uh, whatever at all levels of college basketball. And, you know, you, 
I have to figure out as best I can, is that something that you can do? Is that something mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and, and sometimes we fall for it, right? Uh, you know, some kids can be con men. Um, mm. You know, there was a kid this week that, that left and, and I'm kicking myself because I feel like it was kind of one of the bigger misses of, of since I've started doing this. He left um, the school he was on? Yeah, yeah, left oh, the school okay. that he was at. And, 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 you know, the whole transfer argument is a whole different deal. But th- this was just something where it was like he quit, mm. right? Like he just gave up. And he's like, ah, I'm not going to do this. And, and I, I felt, I, I know I talked, I probably talked myself into it because he was a sweetheart kid um, and he was super talented and, uh, you know, I got conned and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you, you live and you learn. Um, but I'm also not somebody that now goes into every conversation jaded. Um, mm. You know, I'm definitely somebody that, that maybe to a fault sometimes is, is a believer and and Mm -hmm. uh, second chances and things like that. But that's worked out more often than it hasn't. So for sure. And so if we move into the, like, like if like a young athletes listening to this and they're, they're trying to find a good fit at the college level, is there anything given your experience pairing so many players with so many schools and following their progress? Is there anything that you think many modern athletes overlook or don't emphasize enough when they're trying to, make a good connection at the next level. I think in, and you'll, you'll know this as well as anybody that, uh, the relationship that you have with that staff, with that coach, with the assistant, whatever it is, can end up being far more important than a lot of the basketball things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, whether your personality fits, whether your um, your ability to have a bad day and for them to react in a way that is positive for you. Um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, good fit at a school, but you know, we, we play basketball practice, you know, at most a couple hours a day. And when we have a game, it lasts, you know, 40 minutes. Well, what about all the other time? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're around these, these, these coaches and, and the players around them and, and you, far more than you have a basket without a basketball than with a basketball. Yeah. Right. And so I think, I think a, a great starting place for guys is really about where is that fit for them? Uh, personality wise, attitude wise, is it somebody that you can see yourself playing for when you're having a great day and somebody you can see yourself playing for when you're having a bad day? Mm. And, Cause you're going to have a bad day right? You're probably going to have a lot of bad days. And, and so being able to be in an environment that's conducive to you working through that is, is so unbelievably important, but guys get caught up in level and, you know, the flashy shit and, and whatever. And I don't blame them. I mean, they're kids, right? You know, when a coach says, Hey, look at this, this 10,000 seat arena and, you know, we charter these flights and whatever, but you come to find out that like, the guy's favorite word starts with an F and he likes to say it at at a really, really, really high level all day. Like, you know, now if that's, if that's okay with you, then cool, whatever, man. I mean, like, you know, everybody's different with how they respond to different types of coaching and stuff like that. But like, if that's not you ignore the other stuff, because the other stuff will matter zero. If you know, you're not able to play for that person. Yeah. Yeah. I, you can still be miserable on a on a on a jet on a, on a charter jet 100%. through your next school. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So same question. Now let's move to the coach's perspective. So do you, is there any insights that you think you've picked up on looking for players, any mistakes, common mistakes that you think coaches tend to make in their evaluations or insights on the coach's side of the recruiting process? Yeah, I think coaches, um, because it's such a high pressure cooker environment these days, you know, guys get two, three years to, to do well. Otherwise, you know, ADs are on to the next guy. Um, I think they fall in love too much with that moment uh, when they're evaluating a player, whether it's good or bad, um, mm -hmm. and fail to f uh, project out, fail to see what their skill at developing could do to somebody. Um, mm. you know, I think, I think we've fallen off the path of, of, uh, being developers and coaches excuses for that are, well, if they don't develop, you know, right away, immediately, like they're going to leave, or I have to get somebody that can play immediately because otherwise I'm going to lose my job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. Um, but I think they also overthink it, uh, too much where, Somebody looks at Malibai and and says, "Oh yeah, no, he can do these different things, but you know, he's he's not strong. He's not, you know, you know, maybe he's um, not running a very complicated offense or something." And and so, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to pick things up. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some risk involved with with you know thinking that you can develop that guy, but um, um, that the payoff was sure worth it, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and so, um. I think coaches just, they fall in love with the moment. They'll watch a, a player that they really, really like. Uh, they've watched all the film, does all the stuff they want. They go see him in person and he has a bad game. And they, then they're out. Mm. Like, well, wait a minute. What the hell did you just spend the last two weeks doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if in that moment he has a bad game, like that means he's not a good basketball player. Holy crap. I'd hate for you to be evaluated on your, you know, worst day of that week. Yeah. Like, but that's that's the way it is. It's a very transitory, um, you know, quick evaluation. Move on to the next thing. Uh, just pressure, 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 pressure. And unfortunately, like I said, guys look at that as they have to do it that way because they have to function quickly and they have to be able to uh, make snap decisions because otherwise they feel like they're going to lose their job. But that's why I appreciate somebody like Dennis Gates at Cleveland State so much. Where, you know, he looks at like a holistic picture of a basketball player. It's not just did he dunk on somebody's head and he bang a bunch of threes. He's looking at toughness. He's looking at mental toughness. He's looking at how a kid reacts to a coach. He's looking at, um, you know, skill level in the sense that, you know, maybe it's he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but gosh dang, he's he's smart and he just finds the right gaps and he, you know, whatever. Um and Dennis is a hell of a coach. I mean, he's at the top of the list for, for young up and coming head coaches in division one basketball. And mm. there's not a whole lot of guys on his roster that most of the teams in his league would have ever even recruited. Mm. Like he's not, he's not for the most part, he's not fighting guys for recruits. Mm. You know, he's, he's getting guys that nobody else was even interested in and, yeah. and winning the league and going to the NCAA tournament with them and having them be all league players. And everybody's like, Oh, how does he, how does he do that? Well, because he decided what was actually important and what fit him and focused on those things hmm. and, and, and really went after. And he as a head coach is probably more involved in the recruiting process than, than a lot of head coaches. And, and that's something that I think has changed over time as well, where 
um, you know, guys get so busy with other things that they kind of forget like, you know, what, what the important part of, of the job is. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that my coach, my senior year emphasizes, and he's very involved too. Brady Bergeson. He, he talks about the number one thing at his job is having the right people on the bus. And he puts a lot of time and thoughts and effort into getting that piece right before everything else. Yep. And, you know, it make, it's understandable because coaches have so much on their plate to de- delegate some of that. But um, from what I know, I agree with you. I think that's, that's a, you know, crucially important piece to begin with. And I think for me, like over time, too, of doing this, um, I, I sometimes I feel like the old man on my yard yelling at the sky, uh, you know, these, these darn kids. Um, but I've become such a big believer in, in success through, um, things like, uh, toughness, but not like toughness is kind of a weird definition, but like toughness in the ability to like overcome, um, you know, different things, lots of different things, right. It's not mm-hmm. just a game. It's, you know, in the classroom, it's whatever. And, and character, like, I've become way less, I think, um, interested in, in, uh, character. It's, it's hard to explain. Like, like character issues is not the right word because I'm also like the second and third chance guy. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm looking for progress. I'm looking for like actual, uh, give a shit, you know, mm-hmm. out of a kid. And, and it doesn't mean that you're a perfect kid by any means. Um, I mean, very few, very few people even approach the definition of, of perfection, right? Uh, we've all got a billion and 10 flaws, but, but it does matter if you care, right? Yeah. And and I know plenty of kids that can't get out of their own way, but they care and they just keep pushing and, and I'll, I'll give that kid a chance. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so, and that's another thing that Gates is huge on is, is the character piece, right? Like Mm -hmm. he's got, he's got a, this crazy amalgamation of different backgrounds on that team. Um, but the, the thing that you can always point to is the character of those kids and, mm. and their, um, you know, we over me mentality and, and, you know, things like that, other cliche words that we all use for, for what, you know, what, what, what a good basketball player, what a good kid is like, you know, it's, mm. it, it's a very obscure gray definition, but, um, I'm a huge believer in that if you don't have those character traits and you don't have the, the want and desire and the care you could be the best basketball player on the floor and you will help me lose a lot of games. Mm. Yeah. Is, uh, how do you try or attempt to evaluate character before, um, getting to the program? I know you're not a coach, but like if you're recommend, if, if you're saying that this, this, this is a high character player, in my opinion, what does that mean to you in your evaluation process? You know, it's amazing what you can learn just by having a conversation about things other than basketball with a person. Mm. Um, you find out real quick kind of what a person is made of just when you, you talk to them about normal stuff, things that don't have anything to do with basketball. Um, mm. and, and, you know, I think that's something that uh, is probably missed a lot of times in, in recruiting is that, you know, it's so focused on like, well, what, what position do you want to play? And, you know, we see you fitting into our system this way and, you know, whatever. And at the end of the day, like those kids have those answers ready to go, you know, cause mm-hmm. they've been talking to other coaches, um, you know, put them on the spot talk to them about something else. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if, if they're 
if they're dismissive of it that, you know, well, this conversation's not important and, you know, whatever, I want to talk about my jump shot. Like, all right, man, well, maybe you're not the right guy. Because, mm. again, we're going to spend at most, you know, a couple hours a day with a ball in your hand, and there's 22 other hours in the day. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have to be able to to come together on, on other things. And a lot of times that conversation can just be an indicator. You know, it's just a, a box, right, on a list of other things. But it can be an indicator of kind of where this guy's head's at. Um, mm. and, and in a good way and in a bad way, right? I mean, it's sometimes you get guys that are just too much. And you're like, okay, you're really not focused on anything. <laughs> um, All right. So it's, uh, yeah, I wish, I wish there was like a concrete answer to it, but it's definitely, it's a feel thing. Um, yeah. And that's probably where, you know, my corporate background has helped me a lot because that's what I had to spend all day doing was talking to people yeah. and, and really breaking down in my mind who they are and what they're about and, you know, what their motivations are and, and things like that. So. Cool. Yeah. I like I like that asking them things that they may not get commonly asked by coaches or people that are evaluating them. That seems like a good, a good practice. I'm um, curious. I have no idea really what's, I'm just peripherally aware of this issue, but I hear people talking about it a lot. I'm curious your opinion on the transfer culture and mm-hmm. the high rates of people transferring and leaving and stuff. What do you make of all of that? I think, um, I think it's complicated. I think there are a lot of transfers that are good ideas um, because a mistake was made somewhere, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it be by the kid or the staff or whatever. Uh, And there's some mistakes that are just, you're just not going to overcome. And it depends on what the kid wants, right? Like, Like a kid maybe spends four years at a school and doesn't play a minute. And, you know, but they're happy and they're getting their degree and whatever. And like, not a lot of coaches are going to be okay with that, but you know, that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the more competitive guys, they say, well, if I'm not gonna play a minute, like I'm not gonna stay here. Um, but also there's a lot of coaches that run kids off. Um, there is you know, people say, oh, these kids, you know, they don't commit to anything. Stop it. Like, mm. just stop. I, I have more stories about coaches bringing kids into the office saying you're not coming back next year. than I do kids saying, I don't want to be back next Hmm. year. Interesting. Um, You know, there's, especially when there's job changes, right? We get, we get 60, 70 division one jobs that change over every year. And I, and I use the division one as an example, but it's at all levels, right? These things happen at every level. It's not unique to division one. So 60, 70 jobs change over new guy comes in. He goes, you, 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 and you, you're not good enough to be here. You're gone. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then the, these kids hit the portal and they're like, oh, they didn't even give the new coach a chance. Like, stop. You don't know. Like, you mm. don't know what goes on in the background in these offices and these conversations. And there's kids that come into the new coach or, or even their existing coach and say, coach, like, I really want to be here next year. Um, you know, I'm I'm doing this, this and this to get better and whatever. And the coach says, yeah, I don't care. Like, I need I need that scholarship, dude. Like, you got to go. Mm. Um, and there is a lot of that. There is so much of that, whether it's direct and the coach saying, like, you got to go or the coach decides that he doesn't want you there. So they just ignores him. Right. It's just, that's just great thing that these coaches do where they're like, I'm going to do a job where I'm going to be in charge of a bunch of impressionable 18 year old kids. And when I decide I don't want them anymore, I'm going to ignore them. Hmm. Yeah. That's healthy. 
<laughs> like, yeah. you know, ima- imagine you're, you're hanging out with your friends and then your group of friends decides that they don't want you anymore. And so they just ignore you. Like, what? Yeah. That's, that's gotta be hard. That's but be that's, hard. I yeah. mean, that's the way these guys are. You know, they'll yeah. literally, some of these coaches will literally just straight up stop responding to kids' text messages. You know, they, like, they're your coach and they won't respond to you. You go to their office and, and, and they don't want to talk to you. And it's just mm-hmm. their passive aggressive way of telling you to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Right. But, but I don't know if some of them are just so weak that they, they don't want to have that conflict conversation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, like, that will, that will send me through the roof when I hear about stuff like that. And unfortunately, I hear about it all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I had a you know tough first three years in college, and coach wasn't a great fit for me, my personality. But uh, in hindsight, I am very grateful that he was, even though he was tough on the court, and you know, truth was I wasn't playing well enough, so he was right to be hard on me. But um, I thought that some of you know the the situations that he put me in didn't bring out my skill set in the way that my next coach did, right? Mm-hmm. But one one thing I can say about him is he was always respectful to me as a person and he totally could have ran me off the team because I was whatever shooting, you know, 28% from three as a shooter. Right. (laughs) Um, and he didn't, he, you know, he really cared about all of us getting degrees and stuff. And so, yeah, hearing stories like what you just said and other stories around the country that I've, people I've talked to, I am really grateful that he was that way and cared about me as a person. So, yeah, that's hor- horrible. I can't imagine because I remember how hard it was to be on scholarship and to not be living up to the expectations set by it. Right. And to add a layer of like, oh my God, my coach won't text me back. That would be like traumatic, right? Because <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a um, because especially when you get to that point of your career, like like for most guys, like this is it. Right. Like this, this is the end of your basketball career for most guys and for it to end in a way that, you know, you've spent all of this time and energy and money and commitment and, you know, late nights and early mornings and all this stuff culminates in a guy won't even like look you in the eye Yeah, because he doesn't want you there. Like what? Yeah. I I don't know. There's so much gross stuff in basketball, but it's, that's, that's one that like really frosts me. Yeah, and another, it's good. Another good segue into I know a mutual interest of ours is mental health for players, and I know you mentioned that you wanted to talk about the mental health at specifically at the JC level. So I'll just open that up to wherever you want to take that. What is what are your thoughts on mental health in junior colleges? Yeah, it's interesting because um, mental health is something that. Uh, I don't think I remember hearing the word mental health mm-hmm. until, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just something nobody talked about. Like, like it was, it was really more like, hey, you got a problem, like, you need to go see a shrink, right? Like, mm-hmm. that was the dismissive, like, ooh, I don't know what's going on with you, man. And yeah. And then come to find out as we... Uh, I, I don't know if it's been the advent of, of technology where people are more connected, uh, which has had a negative impact on a lot of mental health, but at the same time <laughs> right. has allowed people to connect and realize that we're not um, all that different a lot of times. Like you're not alone. You're not unique in your struggles. 
Um, and, and so, you know, now we talk about mental health and it has, has more recently just been something that is not only acceptable to talk about, but in a lot of ways is encouraged to talk about. Unfortunately, uh, the sports world is still someplace where there's a lot of taboo conversation about, uh, you know, not being okay. Right. And, mm-hmm. and having a bad day and having a bad week and a bad month and whatever and why and and how to overcome that um, as best you can. Right. Everybody's got different goals with that. Like what what is what is being better mean? Right. Um, and so, you know, even for myself, like um, things like being more mindful in it just in my day to day and with my family and with my job and, and all that, like I struggle with time management because my job never really turns off. You know, mm-hmm. it's if, if I'm up, I could literally work 24 hours a day because I'm talking to people all over the world yeah. in every time zone. And, and so, you know, I have to really focus on being more mindful otherwise, um, and more present because otherwise like I lose control quickly of, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm doing and, and that makes me a bad father and a, uh, a bad husband and because I'm just not present for anything. And so, um, now we, now we break that down and say, okay, well now let's talk about these 18 year old kids and, um, the things that they go through. And, you know, again, we're not still super accepting of, of really talking about it a lot. It's getting better. Um, but I think it's something that, that athletics still has a long ways to go in regards to being accepting of the conversation and recognizing that mental health is health, right? There's yeah. not a distinction between health and mental health. It's, it's all health. Yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, your, your, your brain can be having a bad day just like your knees can. And yeah. so, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, just the nature of junior college means that there are less resources available. Um, to have those conversations and to have, you know, we've got people to tape your ankles, but we may not have people to talk to you about why you're having a bad day. Um, Mm. And, and, you know, some of the things that you're struggling with. And so um, junior college is a space that, that, you know, needs to take a look at that. Um, But unfortunately in the interim, there's going to be a lot more onus on the player uh, to do the reaching out to doing the uh, maybe more remote uh, discussions and, and seeking help and things like that. And, um, you know, I just hope that, that coaches as, as younger guys come into the business, um, and are coming up in kind of more this generation of acceptance and things that they'll have those conversations with players where it's, you know, Hey, when you're in my office, like we don't need to just be talking about your playing time, right? Like, let's talk about some other things. And, and if maybe I'm not the person to have that conversation with, like, let me, find a way to get you the, the conversation that you need to have. Um, yeah. Because, you know, junior colleges, they're a lot of times in remote towns in the middle of nowhere, long ways from home, um, you know, and and so when you're, you're feeling like you, uh, something's not right, who do you talk to? Mm. You know? I imagine just, a lot of these, a lot of these schools you mentioned, they don't have sports psychologists on staff. Right. Not many. I mean, there's some, you know, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's not a sports psychologist. It's just a just a general school counselor mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and, you know, they do their best. But, uh, you know, sports is an interesting pressure cooker, especially at a young age where um, there's definitely, I think, a lot of um, things that are specific to sports to somebody that's experienced in that 
with, you know, especially breaking through a sports person's, you know, outer shell, right? Like yeah. as sports people, we're, we're inherently competitive. We're yeah. inherently built and programmed in such a way to, you know, just deal with stuff, right? Like, yeah. you know, oh, I got this, I got this injury. Like I just got to deal with it. Well, and that's how we approach mental health too. Well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really shitty right now and, you know, I'm having a hard time sleeping and whatever, but I just got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's not something that's easy to do on your own. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, um, something I, r- I write about in the book I have coming out and well, I guess it'll be out when this podcast is out, but, um, it's a kind of a paradox because mental, whatever you want to call it, mental toughness is a really useful thing in sports and the athletes that we all praise and admire are the ones like Michael Jordan or like Tom Brady or these people who play their best under pressure and they don't get rattled in the big moments. And so it's understandable that athletes would see any anxiety or mental difficulty as a kind of failure. Right. Right. Um, Right. But it's also totally unhelpful. So it's like, one of the things that I wrote about is how we can make it okay, like you said, to be having a bad day or a bad stretch or to be anxious or to be down or to be going through something in your personal life um, while also acknowledging that, yeah, it, you know, being mentally tough is the goal eventually. Like, But sometimes you need to have the conversation with the sports psychologist or maybe back off your training if you're overtraining and trying to fix your problems with just brute force extra reps all the time, right? You know, finding a little bit more balance, having a, you know, going out and hanging out with your friends sometimes. Like, so there's the, all these different things that can help with that. But, you know, finding the balance between, um, you know, trying to be mentally tough, but also knowing it's okay to have, like you said, to have a bad day or to be going through something because all of us do at some point in our lives, right? Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, we, we have this, you know, macho culture of, of, um, you know, looking at that as being soft, right? Like one, having an issue is being soft and seeking help as being soft. And, yeah. and it's, it's just always so funny to me because I'm like, yo, if you, if you tear your meniscus, do you, do you get, do you get it fixed? <laughs> like, do you, yeah, do you right. go, well, you know, somebody that's going through like a real like mental stress issue, uh, is probably going to be about as helpful to you as somebody with a torn meniscus. And so it's, it's just, you treat it like anything else. You treat it like any other part of your body. And, but the amazing thing about it is that like, you know, you, you repair a meniscus, you have your meniscus back. Right. Mm. But if you repair your brain, you don't know what the ceiling looks like. Mm. There's, there's, there's a lot of, of parts of ourselves that we can, um, that we can discover, that we can improve, that we can uh, make stronger in a way that we didn't even know was there. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the mental ability to discover new challenges that you can overcome that you never thought were possible, right? Like yeah. you fix my meniscus, I still don't have a, a vertical jump. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like right. it's not, it ain't going to change. Um, but, you know, I have found myself, uh, you know, just in my own like practices of, you know, meditation and being more mindful and, and finding ways to be more present and things and addressing just kind of my own, uh, you know, 
I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call them struggles, just like stuff, right? Like everybody's got stuff we got to deal with. Yeah. And and as I'm finding new and creative and helpful ways to do that, like I'm finding myself capable of doing more things and uh, having better ideas and, you know, being a better father and being a better husband and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know, it's it's like being able to repair an injury, but like make it better. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's what's, that's what's so, I think, unique about addressing your own, your mental health is that, um, you don't know how good you can be because you don't know what that ceiling looks like. Right. And it's not just working on it in a crisis, but making it a priority on the positive side too. I love what you said about that is like, you know, there's upside to working on your mind with things like meditation and other mindful activities it's not just about recovering from some kind of crisis right. when when shit hits the fan right yeah like i had a great day i've had a great week you know yeah. even through all the bs that we're going through like i feel like i've had a great couple months and but yeah. i'm still like every day making sure that i uh, address what i need to address with myself so that so that i don't wind up in a place where i i feel completely overwhelmed and lost you know yeah um and and continuing to try and, and find what's that next level of, of clarity or understanding or whatever it is that I'm looking to improve on in my life, you know, find that next level. Yeah. And what does your current meditation practice look like? So, I mean, each week, like I'm trying to find something to really focus on. Um, and it's not even something that I've recognized as like an issue or a shortcoming. Um, but it may just be, whatever randomly that week I want to, I want to focus on, you know, whether it's, um, being more present in, in the evenings when I'm home, you know, Mm. and, and doing meditation practices, you know, it's 10, 15 minutes a day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but really focusing on how to, um, how to address and improve that. And it's funny because now that I'm doing that kind of stuff, uh, my buddy, Daniel Poneman, who's a NBA agent, um, the first time I really saw somebody meditating was when we were at the final four and we, we, uh, we rent this house for, and and we let young coaches come crash on the floor and, and stuff like that. And, uh, um, Dan, Dan was always like, yeah, we can go out to the the club, but like, I gotta go meditate. And I was (laughs) like, wait, what? (laughs) And, and, you know, he was so like driven to like, no, this is a thing that I have to do. You know, it's, it's like, it, it, it would be like somebody that's diabetic. It's like, I got to go take my insulin shot. Like, no, this is, this is something I'm doing. And if it means we're late, we're late. Right. And, mm. and I was like, at the time I remember thinking like, well, this is silly, like do that later. And, <laughs> and now, now I, I recognize as like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like this is, this is something that, um, you know, that, that it's not, it's, it's a, it's, it's not an addiction. It's a recognition of something that is beneficial to you and not being willing to compromise, uh, taking care of yourself. And yeah. And I, I, I know the feeling because with something like meditation, you can, you always can find a reason not to do it. Like it, no one's going to notice that you didn't go sit down in silence. You don't get any immediate reward from it or any validation. Right. So, you know, I try to have the same attitude. It's like, okay, I'm home for Christmas break. It'd be easy to just say, oh, I'm going to take a week off. But then when I get back from Christmas break, it'll be, oh, it's Saturday. You know, I don't have to meditate on Saturday. So right. like <laughs> trying to be firm about 
daily practice is yeah i know yeah. i know what that's like that's and great. i think in in the the basketball space the sports space but specifically the junior college space where like i said guys are in remote towns and they're you know they're they're alone right there's not as much of a community around them in these small yeah. towns and things like that like um you know i think there's a huge opportunity for players to uh, even if it's, again, not something that they're specifically trying to address something, right? But just more of a um, preparation and, and uh, uh, you know, like almost like a you, you, you're doing some healing and you didn't even realize there was an injury there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, until all of a sudden you go, gosh, dang, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm yelling less, right? Like I get angry less, right? right. <laughs> which is, is such a yeah. weird thing to, to notice. Like when you notice something, you're like, you know what? Recently, like, I haven't been so pissed off at my kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you can kind of tie it back to this, you know, mental gymnastics that you've been doing. Um, and yeah. and you know, I think I think players could really benefit from that in in ways that they don't know, they don't recognize, the coaches don't recognize, the administration doesn't recognize. Like, this isn't some sort of like hippy dippy. You know, like, oh, this guy's out here, you know, burning incense and, and meditating. Like, it's it's taking care of your brain. And yeah. and the way that, um, you know, you look at, like, I'm lifting weights to take care of my body. Well, think of this as, like, lifting weights for your brain. Like, it's going to make you better at whatever yeah. it is you're trying to do. Yeah, that's, yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's a great place to end. And... Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning what you're yeah, up to and amazing work that you're doing. It's um it's 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 really cool. I admire you for kind of carving out your own path and taking a risk and and doing something it's that really fulfills you and helps the world and is helping so many people. So congratulations on all your success and I hope that COVID or the Omicron variant doesn't ruin these trips that you have planned. And um yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, you bet, man. Appreciate it. Happy to be on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Just a reminder that my new book is available. The book is called Harder Than I Thought, Easier Than I Feared, Sports, Anxiety, and the Power of Meditation. And the book is the perfect resource for a struggling athlete, an athlete who's lost their confidence or is no longer enjoying the sport they play, or for any athlete who wants to make the most of their athletic experience while also setting themselves up for a good life after sports. And I think the book will be of interest to coaches and parents and fans as well. So you can find a link to the book in the show notes for this episode, or you can visit billyhansen.net forward slash book to pick up a copy. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you here for the next episode. sauce.